Welcome to The Blind Side. News and information from a blindness perspective. Here's Jonathan Mosen. And this is episode 88. It is a pleasure to have you with us once again. A reminder that this podcast is segmented by podcast chapter. So if you're using an app like Overcast, Downcast, there are some on Android as well that do this, that support chapter marks. It makes it so much easier to listen to The Blind Side, skip around past different comments or back to different sections. It's marvellous, I tell you. And we're going to be making extensive use of podcast chapters in this particular episode of the podcast where there are a lot of discreet listener comments. And this podcast is devoted to all things Apple as we look ahead to WWDC. Ooh, you know how the old song goes, right? About WWDC, you know, tiny tots with their eyes all aglow will find it hard to sleep tonight or something. It is nearly WWDC time. This is Apple's Worldwide Developers Conference, and it's where they get a bunch of lucky developers together. It's really hard to get into this conference. You can actually apply you got to pay big bucks, but you've got to apply as well. And your name gets drawn in a lottery if you're really lucky and you get to go and pay the big bucks. You can also download Apple's WWDC. I see that voiceover is abbreviating it to WWDC these days, which is pretty hip, dude. WWDC. You can download the WWDC app as well. And you can get a lot of the information and the sessions from there. And it can be very informative. And of course, the one that a lot of people are really interested in is the keynote, the event that opens the WWDC conference. It is happening next Monday. That is the 4th of June US time. It begins at 10 a.m. Pacific time. That is 1 p.m. Eastern time. It is going to be live streamed and you can get the Apple Live Events app for your Apple TV and watch it there if you have an Apple TV. You can also go to apple.com and it is going to be streamed from there. At the keynote, we expect to hear new information about iOS 12, the next version of Apple's operating system, and we'll be talking a lot about iOS 12 on this podcast. We will also hear about the new version of Mac OS. We know already that Mac OS is going to lose 32-bit application support, just as iOS did last year, and there'll be other things revealed as well, of course. tvOS and watchOS. So there'll be a lot to say, and there may be some new hardware. It does look as if some Mac inventory is being run down in preparation for WWDC. There's also a very minute possibility that we may see the next generation iPhone SE, which seems to be long overdue, and people will be wondering, will it have the same form factor as the current one? Because people do like the current size of the iPhone SE, at least a lot of people who have it do. Will it have the headphone jack? Rumours are that it may possibly not. There are also rumours that say, yes, it will, because it's basically just going to be an internal refresh, that the size will be the same. Others are suggesting it could be a much more radical refresh. So, you know, all sorts of rumours everywhere, and we don't even know whether there is going to be a new iPhone uh, revealed. We haven't had an iPhone revelation at WWDC for quite a long time now. We know we are not getting the next generation of iPhones, the successor to the iPhone 8 and 8 plus and 10 that is going to come probably in September but we may just may get some new iPhone hardware in the SE line although there's no certainty of that what is certain the only thing that is certain is that there will be software announcements at WWDC now episode 89 of the blindside podcast that's next week's episode will be devoted to a WWDC post analysis now, once again, my daughter, the daughter formerly known as Heidi Mosen, she's now rebranded as Heidi Taylor because she got married earlier this year. She is going to be busily taking screenshots during the event. And we get a lot of positive feedback about this because what happens during these events is that a lot is displayed on the screen that they don't talk about. There's just so much information. And sometimes that information can be really pertinent and accessibility related. So not only will she be describing all of that information, she'd also be describing any physical layouts of software and any hardware that appears in a way that she knows a blind person will appreciate. She's really good at this and she will be here once again to give us some visual interpretation of what went on in the keynote. I'm also delighted to be joined by a couple of excellent women in tech. And we've got Debbie Armstrong 
And she has been using technology, assistive technology, and all kinds of technology for a long time. She's insightful, and it'll be great to have Debbie on the podcast. And we'll also be joined by Janet Ingber, and you may know her name in association with Mac Things because she wrote that book on getting started with the Mac and voiceover for National Braille Press. She has also written numerous articles on Apple-related things for the American Foundation for the Blind's publication, Access World. So we've got a real star-studded lineup this time. You can be sure that this panel is going to make sense of all that went down, particularly from an accessibility perspective. As usual, I'm committing to getting the Blind Side podcast published just as soon as we can, after we record this post-WWDC analysis, and we've been pretty quick over the years. But there is a bonus this year if you subscribe to our new Daily Fiber Premium podcast service. You can go back into the archives of The Blind Side and find out all about the Daily Fiber Premium podcast, but in brief, this is my other podcast that brings you the latest in technology news every weekday, and it costs just $5 a month, that's American dollars, that equates to about a quarter, 25 cents per episode. It is a really labor-intensive thing to produce, so that just helps offset the cost of the time involved in doing that. Now, I'm always looking for ways to add value for the generous people who make the Daily Fiber Premium podcast possible, and we've got about 130-odd people who are paying that monthly subscription now. So thank you to everyone who's done that. And one way I will be trying to add value this time is to offer those people, and it's not too late for you to be one of those people, a live stream of the recording of the Blindside podcast. So right after WWDC, you'll be able to join us live and listen to a live stream of the podcast. If you would like to get your post-WWDC fix as soon as possible, then become a Daily Fiber Premium Podcast subscriber. You'll get a lot of great technology news delivered fast every day, and you'll have that additional benefit as well. I will provide a link to the Daily Fiber Premium Podcast page in the show notes if you would like to join us and subscribe to this service. Now, I can also confirm that Mosin Consulting will be releasing iOS 12 without the eye. This is our comprehensive guide to iOS 12 from a blindness perspective. We've been doing this since all the way back in iOS 7. It is by far our largest selling product. We get many, many, many people buying this every year, and I really appreciate that. And it helps people to come up to speed with all that is new and all that has changed in iOS. And we're going to release that on the same day that iOS 12 is officially released. So that means that when it's time to upgrade, you will have at your fingertips access to a guide to help you upgrade and become familiar with all that's new in iOS. Now, last week, I invited you to submit your own thoughts on what you would like to see in iOS 12, and we've got some interesting responses. And to further stimulate conversation, I kept up a tradition where just ahead of WWDC for the last sort of five or six years, I have put my own list together of things that I would like to see in iOS 12. Not everybody, of course, agrees with my top 10 list, but it is a way of provoking discussion and getting people thinking about this because for many of us, iOS plays such an important part in our lives these days. I'm going to go through my top 10 list and then we'll get to some of the contributions that listeners have left via the email or the phone. If you have already read my iOS top 10 wishlist via the blog. If you are using a podcast client that allows you to skip by chapter, such as Downcast and Overcast in iOS, remember you can go ahead and skip to the next chapter and you'll get past my remarks and get on to listener remarks, the joys of chapter podcast integration. So here is my list. And the first one on the top of my list is called Defect Equivalency Criteria. And I realize that that is a bit of a mouthful, but it is a really important thing that I think Apple does need to deal with. I'm going to explain it, but I am hoping that it will come true this year because news sources such as Bloomberg, there's a journalist called Mark Gurman who works for Bloomberg now, who seems to have some really reliable internal sources. And he has been claiming in articles that Apple has reduced its new feature list in iOS 12. They had a whole bunch of stuff on their product roadmap. 
they have apparently cut back on that so that they can spend more time improving the reliability, consistency, and general user experience of iOS. So yay. So what's this number one of mine about? Well, first of all, we need to be clear that all software, every single piece of software that you use has bugs. And there comes a point where every company has to stop developing. And there comes a time when you have to make a call that says, we need to release this now. We will absolutely keep working on outstanding bugs, but we've got to get a product out now. And this is what we see with iOS, right? You get, say, iOS 11, and then not too long after, you've got 11.0.1 and ultimately 11.1, and on it goes. They are constantly trying to improve. The critical question then becomes, what software bugs are unacceptable at a public release that doesn't have a beta designation? So when you get that very first version of iOS 12, what is it reasonable for us to expect in terms of the quality of the release? I believe that in an accessibility context, Apple is failing to address this question appropriately, or I would say even humanely. I don't believe for a moment that the problem we have with the bug-filled releases, at least from an accessibility perspective, that have come from Apple uh, over recent years relates to the fact that they didn't know about these bugs early enough. That's demonstrably not true. I'm running an email list, for example, where people get together and they discuss how to duplicate some of these more serious accessibility bugs with a view to filing better quality bug reports to Apple so things can be resolved more quickly. And I know for a fact that some of the more serious issues have been filed and were not fixed by release time. So someone somewhere is making the call that it's okay to release iOS with the extremely serious, for some users, crippling voiceover bugs that we've been seeing. We can and should complain about that, but I also believe we should complain constructively. To that end, I'd like to offer a simple guideline that should assist Apple to determine whether a particular bug is tolerable until it's time for another minor release or whether it's got to be fixed right away. And the key to this is to translate the impact of a bug to an equivalent bug for the cited. Let me paint a hypothetical picture for you. Apple releases a major iOS update, and when it's installed, one of the most basic functions of the iPhone, answering calls, is broken for many users. You turn on the TV news, and it's the lead story. Breathlessly, the newscaster begins with, Commerce was plunged into chaos today, as millions of people were unable to communicate with one another. There are interviews with tradespeople, salespeople, all of whom have had their livelihoods utterly disrupted. Apple's share price plummets. Tim Cook, Apple's CEO, holds an emergency press conference to say that it's not good enough, He's sorry, there'll be an inquiry about how this slipped through and a patch will be released tomorrow after the team has worked non-stop to create a fix and test it. This scenario did occur with iOS 9. The only difference is it just affected blind people. The problems answering calls were only present when voiceover was running. It was a bug repeatedly reported during the testing phase by many blind people, but it was released to the public nonetheless. Because it only affected blind people, it wasn't headline news and it didn't even make the news. There was no apology from Tim Cook. No journalist even brought it to his attention. And the fix wasn't quick in coming. That affected many blind people's ability to do their job. In some instances, if you can't answer a phone call, it may have safety implications and actually, in my view, that one was worthy of a class action. Would Apple dream of releasing a new version of iOS if a core function of the device was rendered useless to sighted people? The answer is, of course, they would not. And therefore, it's unacceptable for Apple to discriminate against its blind users by considering us less deserving of an inferior user experience. Our money is as good as anyone else's, and where they exist... Consumer protection laws requiring that products must be fit for purpose are just as applicable to blind people. If you think I'm bringing up ancient history to be sensational, ask any Braille user about iOS 11 
released with Braille support that was simply unfit for purpose, despite numerous reports to Apple. What would be the equivalent that we could apply here? In my view, there are two, the screen and the virtual keyboard. If your Braille display is not functioning correctly for reading, that's the same as a sighted person's screen being rendered defective. You can be sure that in that kind of situation there would be an overnight fix. Braille input was next to unusable when iOS 11 was first released. This would be the equivalent of the virtual keyboard not being operable for a sighted person. Now there'll be many people who use Braille as an adjunct to speech, or something that they can choose to use at different times, but imagine what it would be like if that wasn't an option for you. Several people that I work with on a regular basis have no hearing or insufficient hearing to use their iPhone with speech. When Apple breaks Braille, they completely break the iPhone for this often neglected, vulnerable group. So if criteria was set that make relevant comparisons with the impact on sighted people, I'd like to think more of these serious issues wouldn't be deemed nearly acceptable for release. This also requires qualified blind people who understand the needs of various parts of our community being in key decision-making roles. And you know what they say, right? Nothing about us without us. My second in my top 10 wish list is improved Braille input. As I just mentioned, iOS 11 got off to a rocky and some would say even catastrophic start when it comes to Braille. Yet there were some wonderful developments in iOS 11 Braille, which Apple clearly thought through carefully. The comprehensive keyboard manager for assigning any key on your Braille display to any function is simply brilliant. And it further widens the massive chasm that exists between Braille on iOS and Braille on Android. So I say congratulations to Apple and express my thanks that they created such a flexible, powerful solution. And I take advantage of that every day. It seems to me that a sincere effort was also made to address some of the idiosyncrasies of Braille input. Unfortunately, whether it's because of lack of knowledge, lack of resources or lack of time, the changes were half-baked and for a while they were a step backwards. There has been some recovery, but Braille input still needs a lot of work. It seems strange that with all the resources and knowledge at Apple's disposal, we don't yet have a Braille input system better than this. The objective should be that brailing into an edit field, be it a text message or a full document, be as efficient and transparent as if it were a native Braille file. We know this is possible because it's being done elsewhere. Apple clearly took up the Braille challenge with some positive benefits. I don't think anyone can now accuse Apple of a lack of commitment to Braille. But they need to get this one right, and I look forward to seeing what's next. My third, Siri. Talk to anyone who has access to another voice assistant, such as Google Assistant, Alexa, or Bixby, and you'll find a consensus that Apple is far behind in the personal assistant space, and it just isn't innovating. Apple has made some positive moves in opening Siri to some third-party developers, but they took a fatally conservative approach. Only certain classes of apps can use Siri. I still can't open a book of my choice in iBooks, Kindle, or Voice Dream Reader. I'm not allowed to ask TuneIn Radio or Utunes via Siri to tune into Mushroom FM, and I can't ask Spotify or Deezer, which is my favourite lossless music service, to play a particular song. But further opening of the API isn't enough. Siri just doesn't know basic stuff. I must use Siri for control functions on my iPhone, but if I want to know a fact, locate a business, or get a phone number, it's quicker for me to launch the Google search app, perform the magic tap, and ask the question, because I'm more likely to get a meaningful answer back. The quality and detail of the responses Google gives me is astonishing. Not only that, I find Google's recognition significantly better. With the processing power and storage now available on these devices, offering training for those who want to improve speech recognition should now be viable. It's interesting to note, for example, that Alexa takes an acoustic model of your voice to improve its recognition specifically for you. With the recent improvements to Alexa's iCloud calendar integration, 
I actually now find scheduling appointments far more reliable by instructing the Amazon Echo Dot on my desk in my office than talking to Siri with the iPhone that lies beside it. Speaking of Alexa, I'd like to see the Siri team take a leaf from Alexa's book and give us a recipe type feature where one can tell Siri to respond in certain ways to commands. Even if this began by having a custom-made output string in response to a custom-made input string, it could be beneficial for those with accessibility needs and the public. The big change last year was Siri's new voice. That's all very nice, and the voice is certainly impressive. But focusing resources on the voice totally missed the boat when it came to addressing the widening gaps between Siri and other assistants. Apple really has to pull something significant out of the hat this year to even catch up with its competitors, let alone surpass them. My number four, do for the keyboard in iOS 12 what was done for Braille in iOS 11. For me, the Braille keyboard manager was the outstanding feature of iOS 11. It's rare that Braille users obtain a significant user interface advantage over those who aren't Braille users. And not only was I delighted that Apple added this feature, I was genuinely surprised, since Apple tends not to like confusing the iOS user interface with too many options. Now the precedent has been set, and I'd love to see the same degree of configurability available with a Bluetooth QWERTY keyboard that now exists with Braille. Wouldn't it be great if the more tech-savvy among us could set up a keyboard layout that emulates our favourite Windows screen reader, or... We could just change the keyboard layout because, for whatever reason, it suits us better. I do wonder what impact the ability to customise Braille commands has had on Apple's technical support team, since there's now no standard frame of reference when a Braille customer seeks support. But as I say, the precedent has now been set, and as a user, I love that. My fifth item? Finish the job with the spell checker and the rotor. Last year I made the point that if Tim Cook believes the iPad can be a replacement for a computer, then blind people need to be given the tools to create content better. It was therefore great to see a new rotor item added that allows users to navigate between misspelled words. It's a promising start. The only trouble is that when you've found that misspelled word, it's tedious to perform an action on it. Since one now swipes up and down to review the misspelled words in a document, It would seem to make sense to then swipe left and right to review the corrections and double-tap the one you want. This one minor change would have a massive impact on making iOS a better platform for content creation. My sixth item, new access paradigms. VoiceOver was introduced to iOS in 2009, and it's now a mature screen reader and a very good one. It's a testimony to the brain power at Apple that they came up with such an elegant paradigm to facilitate blind people interacting with touchscreens. I know some people who feel far more comfortable working with iOS than they do trying to memorize the myriad keyboard commands available on Windows screen readers. But as a trainer, I also meet many blind people who understand the power and the potential of mobile devices, but they genuinely struggle. It saddens me that in the blind community, and perhaps in the community in general, to be fair, there are people who treat with disdain those who don't understand something as readily or fully as they do. Obviously, it's in Apple's interests to ensure that as many people as possible feel comfortable about using the technology. And I also believe that it's in Apple's culture to think of innovative ways to make this technology more usable by more people. You only need to look at the impressive series of accessibility options now in iOS to know that. Their commitment to inclusion is exemplary. So I'd like to suggest a couple of radical ideas. The first is to significantly expand wireless keyboard functionality in VoiceOver. In most applications, icons always appear in the same place. Those of us with a bit of spatial awareness take advantage of that by learning the location of icons and applications we use frequently so we don't have to swipe around the screen to find the icon we're looking for. Not everyone finds this easy. Imagine how much value could be added for users who have spatial awareness issues if a form of macro functionality could be introduced. 
Once a person finds an icon they know they're going to use on a regular basis, such as a play button in a podcast app, the user could perform a gesture, allowing them to assign a key to activate that icon. They may choose something like, say, Command-P for the play button, and that's all there is to it. The user would have programmed an application-specific command that, whenever pressed, would give focus to that icon on the screen, if it's visible, and tap it. This change would allow a trainer to come in and keyboard-enable commonly used apps for the person they're working with. This idea is an embryonic one. I know, for example, that an app update may cause an icon to be relocated, potentially breaking the keyboard command. So it might be possible for the hotkey to be associated with the icon based on several criteria, such as name and picture, as well as position. If most conditions are met, the keyboard command might activate. Another option worth considering to make iOS easier to use for those who struggle with touchscreens is a voice input user interface for voiceover commands. If you open an app and you know there is an icon on the screen called play, but you struggle to find it, imagine how much simpler it would be if you could say to Siri, tap play. If Siri could find an icon on the screen with an appropriate textual label, focus would be placed on that icon and it would be tapped. If you're a comfortable power user of the iPhone, you may find this all a bit ridiculous. But believe me, far more people are struggling with iOS than you think. My number seven option, external audio description. It is wonderful that blind people now have access to so much audio described material. When Bonnie and I are watching TV on our own, since we're both blind, we're grateful for all the advocacy and implementation work that's been done to give us so much choice of content to watch. My kids will sit and listen to the audio description with us if we all watch a movie or TV show together, and I've heard them on occasion say that sometimes the audio description helps them take note of details they might otherwise have missed. But I can't help noticing that when they're watching TV on their own, they're quick to turn the audio description off. And that got me thinking. I would love to see a feature in iOS that allows a user to specify an external device to which audio description should be sent. For example, say the family's watching a movie on Apple TV. Using AirPlay 2, which can output to multiple devices, I'd like to be able to tell the Apple TV to send the audio description soundtrack to Bonnie's and my iPhones. Now, I understand that isn't as simple a request as it may appear. Essentially, you'd be streaming two soundtracks, the soundtrack without audio description on the Apple TV and the soundtrack with audio description on the external devices, although it might be possible for Apple to eventually recode movies for this to be made easier. At least initially, there may be some synchronization issues, but I'm certain they're not beyond Apple's ability. My number eight, clean up the actions rotor. One of the great efficiency-enhancing features in iOS is the actions rotor, but its utility is lessened by a few anomalies that I'd like to see addressed. First, it needs to behave consistently everywhere. This is particularly important when you're training someone who isn't finding the device intuitive. If the actions rotor behaves a certain way most of the time, and then differently at other times, it's confusing without adding any value. During the iOS 11 cycle, many of us were perturbed by Apple's decision not to reset the actions rotor to a known state in mail. Thankfully, Apple heard that feedback, common sense won the day, and they changed it back. But there are still some places where the actions rotor doesn't behave consistently. The app switcher is one example. If you close an app, the actions rotor remains on the close option rather than being set to a known default state. I understand the argument here. If you want to close a whole bunch of apps at once, having the actions rotor remain on close when you're closing apps speeds the entire process up. But there are a couple of ways around this that don't involve breaking a user interface convention. First, you could go into a close apps mode where you select all the apps you want to close and then you click the close button. And a second way around it and one that would benefit blind and sighted people alike why the heck doesn't Apple just give us a close all apps button so we can close all the apps at once? I know the, quote, geniuses, unquote, 
tell us that we don't need to close all apps, that we should leave them in the background and let Apple's clever memory management do its job. But I've tried that, and I've experienced significant battery drain. The fact is, there are some apps that are just badly behaved, and they need to be closed. If I want to close all my apps with one tap or double tap, I don't think that's really too much to ask. It's been an Android forever, and it would alleviate the need to fool with the Actions Rotor's usual behaviour. When a delete option appears on the Actions Rotor, I'd find it helpful to always see it in the same place, preferably by flicking up once from the default action. This happens in most cases, but not all. Finally, I've been dismayed to note some verbiage creeping into the performance of Actions. Sometime during the iOS 11 cycle, VoiceOver started saying message deleted every time I deleted a message in mail. At other times, VoiceOver now says performed action and then tells you the action it just performed. Of course, we know what action it just performed because we already chose the action in the rotor. It's a time waster. I understand that some people might want this, but it should be at least configurable. I note now that there is in settings a separate button that gets you into an Actions Rotor options list, and I'm hoping that that will be vastly expanded in iOS 12. My ninth item, installing your own voices for system-wide usage. Thankfully, Apple has added a lot of APIs, application programming interfaces, in recent years. It's helped to make iOS more flexible and vibrant. It was a needed and pragmatic response that sought to deal with the criticism that iOS is too restricted while not opening the platform to malware. But we don't yet have an API which allows a third-party text-to-speech engine to be available to any application. If you install a third-party voice on Android, any application using text-to-speech can make use of that voice. And that's what I want for iOS. I have multiple copies of several voices on my phone right now because each app has to use its own copy of the voice. That wastes precious storage, and it means VoiceOver can't use any of these great third-party voices that I really like. Imagine how cool it would be, for example, if when you installed one of the many great voices for Voice Dream Reader, it was available to you with VoiceOver as well. Yeah, I know haters are going to hate, and that one's choice of text-to-speech engine is highly subjective, but if we could get to the point where a third-party company like Code Factory could install a voice like Eloquence, then I, for one, would be very happy. And my final one in my top 10, vibration at startup. iPads don't come equipped with a vibration motor, but it would make an enormous difference for many of the people I work with if the iPhone would make a gentle vibration when it's powered on. For some, it's a really frustrating experience just getting the phone powered on because they overestimate or underestimate how long they need to hold the power button down for to switch the phone on. Believe me, I could have gone on to 11, 12, 13. I've got a long list here, but that's my top 10. And let's hear what you think. We asked for your opinions on what you'd like to see in iOS 12. Let's take a listen. Hello, John. My name is Jan Brown uh, in California. Anyway, uh talking about what I'd like to see in software for iOS 12. I'd like to see, probably not in iOS 12, but I'd like to see using haptic feedback or something like it, uh, Braille. On-screen Braille that you can read. That would be really great. I don't think it'll come this year, but I suspect it will come sometime. I also want my iPad Mini back. I want an iPad Mini 5. Uh, I don't care if it has facial recognition or or I touch ID, I don't care what it has, I just want that form factor. Andre has been in touch with a list, many of which replicate mine, so I won't read them all, but here are some interesting ones that are not on my list. The ability to rate apps with respect to the level of accessibility and usability for voiceover users. If I could rate, say, a game on a scale of 1 to 5, in which 1 corresponds to a game that is inaccessible and unusable for voiceover users, and 5 which corresponds to a game that is completely accessible and user-friendly for voiceover users, that would be fantastic. A similar accessibility rating system could be implemented for users with other disabilities besides blindness and visual impairments, such as users with hearing loss, 
partial or totals, and users with intellectual-slash-learning disabilities. Andre's also asking for more audio-described content in a wider range of languages, so it would be nice if Apple can get to that. Hey, Jonathan, um, this is crucial. One of the things I would really like is some... It has... Um, I'm from India originally, so it does have... One of the... In the voiceover voices, if they could have... Um, Gujarati, which is my mother tongue. They've got Hindi, which is our Indian national language. Um, I would like Gujarati, which is my mother tongue, to be in voiceover. And other Indian languages as well would be good as well. Um, so it would be easier for me to read anything that comes in my mother tongue. Here's Christopher Wright, who says, here are just a few things I'd like to see in the next major updates to macOS and iOS. I think we can all agree that bug fixes would be extremely welcome. This is especially true in the case of the Mac. Apple has neglected voiceover on macOS for years and has ignored multiple requests to fix long-standing issues. VoiceOver needs to be polished and refined. I'd like to see Braille support become as good as it is in iOS. While we're talking about Braille, Apple should seriously consider adding an auto-scroll feature for Braille displays in all their software. I find it extremely irritating when I try to read a book and have to press the scroll button to consistently move to the next chunk of text. The voiceover developers should also expand the verbosity options to include functionality similar to the JAWS speech and sound schemes. While I'm not a JAWS user, I realize how useful this truly is and think every other screen reader should adopt it. iOS needs USB Braille support. Apple plug-and-play implementation for USB Braille on the Mac is fantastic and would give iOS users another choice and might also be more reliable than Bluetooth in some cases. Apple should also add the Braille mirroring feature from the Mac to iOS, the ability to simultaneously display the same content on one Bluetooth and USB display could prove useful in classrooms or anywhere else where multiple people might wish to collaborate in Braille. I'd also like to see some more voiceover features from the Mac carry over to iOS. This includes the extremely awesome numeric keypad commander, the activities feature for assigning specific settings in a specific program or website, and the ability to set the output device for voiceover speech and sounds. Apple could do a lot with voiceover. I am saddened and frustrated that I see very little progress year after year on the Mac, while iOS seems to stay in the spotlight. If Apple truly wants iOS to be a computer replacement, they need to add a proper download manager to mobile Safari. When you decide to download a file, it will be saved in internal storage of your device and be visible in the Files app. The Files app should allow the user to store content locally in addition to the current cloud storage options. Users should be able to transfer content via AirDrop, iTunes file sharing, the Safari download manager, and via any other app that can export data. By doing this, Apple would still maintain the sandbox environment while making iOS more powerful and productive. Hey, Jonathan, it's Doug. Just thought I'd leave a comment here for a feature that I'd like to see in iOS 12. I would like to see group audio FaceTiming or group FaceTiming period. Hopefully that one would be something Apple would be willing to implement. Cornelius, hi to you. Thank you for writing into the blind side. One cool feature I wish to be implemented, he says, is the ability to clear apps data. One example would be the Facebook data, which grows over time into a substantial size. Clearing the data without the need to uninstall the app would be very helpful. Hello there, this is Nimmer, and I just uh, wanted to say I read the article about the 10 things that you would like to see in iOS, and I wanted to contribute one of my own. Um, and I think I've seen some rumors that this may be included, and I really am excited about this. But one of the things that frustrates me about iOS is that notifications are grouped 
based off of time of day and not by app. I would love to see the ability for notifications to be uh, categorized by app. Um, so basically, all the notifications for certain app would would be uh, grouped together with one icon with the ability to expand those notifications and action them if you wish, or the ability just to dismiss all the notifications from that one app. If that makes any sense, uh, as it currently stands, if I get if I open up notifications, I can see you know, a notification from one app, a notification from another app, a notification from that app. I don't know. So I like to be able to categorize them by app, or at least like the ability to choose uh, what what it is to categorize by. And um, so that's my biggest thing, and uh, just ease of use for users, uh, maybe finding other options as opposed to the rotor that some people struggle with. I work with people that really struggle with the rotor. Um, I'm also an AT trainer, and. Uh, so I, I definitely agree with that one, just trying to make things easier for the most number of people. Don Barrett has a couple. He says, first, be consistent, Apple. You have to swipe up to quickly delete an email from the inbox and down to quickly delete a message from the Messages app. How inconsistent is that? Second, he says, when using the Apple Watch to hear your heart rate during a workout, the watch goes to sleep after 15 or 70 seconds and stops calling out the heart rate. Even raising your wrist to wake the watch up doesn't start it reading again. What crummy software, says Don. I asked a senior advisor about the ability to turn off sleep mode in the watch so one could track one's heart rate for 30 minutes and was told that Apple didn't allow this to protect our battery life. So there is no way to disable sleep mode. One thing I would like to see in iOS 12 is the ability to use the playgrounds uh, playgrounds app on iPhone, not just on iPad. That way, if somebody already has an iPhone, they can learn Swift without having to buy an iPad just for that. Elias Patel writes in from Canada and says, I use my iPhone on a daily basis and love it. I definitely agree with the Braille aspect. I use Braille more than ever, and when I don't have access to my Braille display, I feel frustrated because it's too slow to use the screen keyboard. However, I really found Braille and iOS better in version 11.3. In version 11.4, it really slowed down in my opinion. As a beta tester, the worst bug I found in iOS 11 tends to be when VoiceOver couldn't go past a heading in email. Apple resolved that. In further detail, here's my actual list of features and fixes I want in the coming iPhones and iOS versions. So some of this is hardware. One, a USB-A port in the iPhone, maybe two or three, so that the need of Braille note takers reduces. I use a Braille note taker and can't change to my iPhone because I don't have access to a USB port. This will allow my iPhone to become more computer alike. That's really interesting. I would love to know what you can't do with an iPhone that the USB-A port would allow you to do because these days you can pretty much do everything with wireless and Bluetooth. Two, easier attachment of files in the email app. I really find it difficult to attach files in the iOS mail app. It would be nice if this happened. Three, an SD card slot to reduce the purchase of expensive book readers for blindness purposes. You know, uh, just cutting in here, I, I don't own a blindness book reader at all uh, and don't feel the need for an SD card slot. What you can do, of course, is connect your iPhone with Dropbox, iCloud Drive, OneDrive, any of those cloud-based services and bring your books in that way to an app like VoiceDream Reader. I think that that would pretty much replace the need for any specialized book reading device. And of course, you've got Kindle and iBooks on there as well. Number four, a feature all across iOS and all supported word processors, including third party, the ability to switch between multiple documents with a quick press of a button, gesture, keyboard shortcut, and or a braille shortcut. This way, an iPhone could become more student environment friendly 
allowing usage of a device everyone uses along with affordability as well. 5. I agree Apple needs serious work on Braille input from Braille displays. As previously stated, I barely use speech and prefer using my focus over hearing things. That's the way I grew up. 6. Automatic description in Braille and or speech of any picture detected by voiceover. This means whether it's on the web, in photos, or voiceover would automatically describe the picture to the owner of the device. That actually was introduced to iOS 11, so it is there now, and it works sometimes better than other times. But if you find a picture and you perform a three-finger tap on it, a lot of the time you will get a description. Sometimes if there's text, iOS will read that text, and uh, all of that is described, of course, in iOS 11 without the eye. Hey, Jonathan, how are you? My name is Faraz. One of the big ones, especially for the iPhone 10, and I think a lot of people would, would want this, more faces, more people, more faces when using Face ID. So if I add a face, like I would like to have some someone else's face. Because right now, it's annoying. Like I have to keep resetting their face, adding my face, and then if I, if I want to give it back, I have to re-add their face again. It's kind of annoying. I hope that they would, you know, you know, like, you know, gives us the ability to add more faces, add more faces. The second thing I'd like to see is for Safari, in iOS 11, we already have the embedded links set to play a sound. However, I would hope that this will be expanded to, uh, to other form elements, like heading or form controls or like any other form of form elements, because it just speeds me up. I don't have to keep seeing saying, Heading level one, heading level two. In addition, I would also like to see a way for us to read image emails. We sometimes get email with a whole bunch of images. I'd love to be able to read it directly from voiceover. And Jane Jordan has written in some of the things that she's written about are in my list, so I'll have a look at some of the stuff that is not in my list. Browse screen input. I can't get this to work reliably, and I've tried over the various iOS versions. Right now, I am using FlickType beta version, which is pretty much a cool predictive text keyboard, and I like it, but I would love to be able to write in Braille more easily. Jane, I have had a number of people asking me to produce a um, tutorial here on the blind side on Braille screen input, and it's on my list. Braille screen input is wonderful, and if you can get to grips with it, it is faster than FlickType. That's not to undermine FlickType at all, because... FlickType is wonderful for the majority of people who, let's face it, don't know Braille. And I think it's an epic app. But if you are a Braille user and you know how to use Braille screen input, you'll get much more speed that way. So I do intend to get to this on the blind side soon, says Jane. I'd like to be able to add a keyboard to the rotor. Braille screen input is on the rotor, and I want to add FlickType or any other keyboard. I don't like having to poke around on the screen and look for the next keyboard button. I want my Bluetooth Braille display and Bluetooth keyboard to be faster. I mean, I don't want a delay when I am typing stuff. If there's a way to turn this off, please tell me. But I am tired of typing stuff with my Braille display only to have other messages from different apps pop up. This usually ruins what I'm trying to type and I have to start over, which can be frustrating. I want to be able to speak more naturally to Siri. I have to speak very slowly and clearly sometimes, and I have to get the command just right, or Siri doesn't always know what to do. Speaking of voiceover, I want it to talk less, or at least a way to tell the Braille display it can show less. Do I really need to see message deleted or action performed deleted every time? Just a simple deleted or whatever the action is will do. 10. I still can't answer my phone reliably with earpods or aftershocks on. I thought you could answer with a double tap. It's not working for me. Very frustrating, but I could be doing it wrong. Hello, Jonathan and blind podcast listeners. If you're listening to this, uh, I really like the suggestion about putting the vibration 
into the iPhone before it starts to know when to release the power button. I have suggested this to Apple numerous times without any response to it. And uh, another quirk I have with it to shake to undo has not worked correctly since iOS 10.3. That is the last time it functioned correctly. And I have been on them, and I've reported with every beta release this not working correctly. And they have screwed around with it and done everything they could, and it still don't work correctly. And I've tried everything I could. Some people say it does, but with me, it doesn't, and it has not. Hello, Josh Swatosh, who strongly agrees with my vibration comment about the iPhone. He also says, I wish there was a separate app just with the dial pad. I know that this may seem strange, although I have days where I just need to make a call. And depending where I am or the situation I am in, I don't want everybody around me knowing who I am calling. Given my dexterity issues, some days are better than others. Another alternative would be the ability to tell Siri to open the phone to the keypad tab. Something as simple as that would be extremely useful. Hi, Jonathan. This is Joe Fallon in Tulsa, Oklahoma. A fan of yours for a long time, going all the way back to Blind Line. I was very interested, as I am every year, in your top 10 wishes for iOS. I have one which has been around ever since I got my first iPhone in 2012. And that is this darn thing that uh, manages to all of a sudden, just out of the blue, the phone will begin playing music or whatever was playing the last time you were listening to something. Now, that's cute, I'm sure, over 20, 30. But there is nothing more embarrassing to me than to be in a meeting and have my phone suddenly start to have a rocket phone right there in the room, calling attention to myself. I have spoken to people at Apple about this, I've written, I I have finally discovered that it is not a bug. They're saying it's not really a bug. It's a feature. Now, if they want to have such a feature, that's fine with me. I'm all for people having uh, as many options as they want. But don't you think if they'd make it a feature, They would also include a way to turn the feature off so that I don't have to sit down and stick an earphone onto my iPhone so that I can attend a meeting without worrying about what's going to happen. Uh, Am I going to have attention drawn to myself? Good to hear from you, Joe. Now, I think what's going on there is that when you are using your iPhone and giving it gestures, it's possible that you're giving it a two-finger double tap. That's the only time that I have seen the iPhone sort of burst into song. And this is known as the magic tap, and you're probably aware of this, where if you are not dealing with an incoming phone call or you don't want an end of phone call, that two-finger double tap, it's known as the magic tap, will play and pause the last audio that you were playing. So it may be that you're applying two fingers there or it thinks you are and you're double tapping it. Uh, Is there any chance you've got two fingers on the screen close together when you may only actually want to have one on the screen to do the double tapping? I've never seen it happen uh, spontaneously like that. It's always because the magic tap has been invoked. Hello, Paul Hunt, who says, Hello, Jonathan. I live in Austin, Texas, and enjoy the blind side very much. I have been using my iPhone since 2009 or thereabouts and would like the following enhancements added to contacts. 
I would like to be able to create, edit, rename and delete contact groups on my iPhone. I want the ability to move contacts from one group to another. I want the ability to create distribution lists. Finally, I want the ability to reorder phone numbers in contacts. I realize that I can perform most of these tasks on my Windows PC, but would like the convenience of performing them on an iPhone. Hello, this is Matthew Horspool from Coventry in England, and uh, I really like the Do Not Disturb feature in iOS, but I feel like it's a bit half-baked, and there's a couple of things that could be done to make it even more useful than it already is. The first of these relates to uh, how it deals with favourites. At the moment, I can say uh, set do not disturb between 10 and 8 every day and allow calls from favourites. But it doesn't allow through text messages from my favourites. This is very annoying, actually, because there are people who I might want to receive a text message from, but I don't want to be bogged down with everybody else's messages and all my other notifications that I get. The other thing I'd like is some more thorough scheduling control for two reasons. First of all, I have Do Not Disturb set between 10 and 8 on weekdays so I can get enough sleep. At weekends, it doesn't matter so much if someone calls me at half past 10 because I've got nothing to wake up for the next morning. The other thing is that there are times when I need Do Not Disturb to come on during the day. Uh, For example, if I've got a meeting or certainly in the evening, uh, I do a lot of stuff at Coventry Cathedral with the choir and uh, some other places around Coventry. And if I've got a practice, I need Do Not Disturb to come on for the practice. And at the moment, I'm having to do all of that manually. So there are two approaches I can think of. The first is to have a schedule for Do Not Disturb, a bit like how the alarm clock works. Uh, So you could just set as many schedules as you wanted for Do Not Disturb. The other way, which I would really, really like to see, would be an option in the calendar to turn on Do Not Disturb for that appointment. It would be nice if we could also set some uh, offsets. So if the appointment is 7.15 to 9.45, let the calendar Do Not Disturb from uh, 7 till 10 so that I don't get a phone call just before the practice is about to start. The other thing that would be useful in that approach would be if a practice is cancelled for some reason and I delete the recurring appointment for that week, the Do Not Disturb schedule would also be turned off for that week. So this is something that I'd really like to see in the next iOS 12 uh, update. Yeah, and of course, back in the Symbian days, Matthew, you may remember that you could actually get apps that did this. I'm sure there are Android apps that do this, that basically say whenever you're in a meeting, turn on Do Not Disturb, and when the meeting period is over, turn it back on again. Regarding your favourites issue in text messaging, there is a sort of workaround, and it is clunky. So just in case you or maybe other listeners are not aware of this, yes, you can set favourites up so that when they call you, Do Not Disturb is overridden. And you can also override individual contacts. And this applies both to calling and texting. What you have to do is go into the contact. So you could use the contacts app. You could use the phone app. And then you edit the contact. And in the place where you set up the ringtone for your contact, there's a switch called emergency bypass. And if you turn emergency bypass on for that contact, you will receive not only calls from them, but text messages as well. Rebecca Skipper says, leave at least one iPhone in the line, preferably the SE, with an earphone jack. Two, I like your Bluetooth keyboard macro idea, but I want the ability to create Microsoft and Excel documents on the iPhone just as easily as I can on the PC. Though I've had an iPhone since late 2016, I still find it hard to get any serious work done on the iPhone. I strongly dislike the rotor and want an alternative. Three, if I'm in a noisy environment, my mild high frequency hearing loss makes it hard to hear notifications and message alerts. I want a way to configure different vibration patterns for different notifications, i.e. one for calls, two for emails, three for text messages, and four for voicemails. Give users the ability to alter the length and intensity of each vibration. Of course, all these customizations might make troubleshooting harder. Four, allow us to learn and use Apple's Swift code on the iPhone. 
Since many new iPhones have better processor power and screens almost the size of iPads, why not allow people to learn and code with Swift on the iPhone? 5. If we purchase an app on the iPhone, don't charge us for the iPad version if we are using the same account. 6. Put blindness GPS apps on the Apple Watch, and I might find it more appealing. 7. Make it easier to back up your iDevice on an external drive without forcing the user to use a third-party app from the external drive manufacturer that may or may not be accessible. Give an alternative to iTunes. 8. Imitate Android and let us use the power buttons and volume up and down buttons to answer and hang up calls since I find the two-finger double tap to be inconsistent. 9. Let users customize audio ducking so that we can decide which apps use this feature. 10. Take some of the clutter out of the new app store. It is harder to find things. Create an accessibility category so we know which apps are accessible for voiceover users, Zoom users or other disabilities. Rick Roderick writes in and he says, Hi Jonathan, most of my suggestions would make Siri more useful. Siri is sometimes good at executing single commands, but she is not good at interacting. I want to use Lyft or Uber to go somewhere. I can already say, book Lyft. What Siri cannot do is ask where I am going, so I can put in each bit of information. She should ask for it, repeat it, and say, is that correct? If one is keyboard challenged, booking Lyft would be quite easy. I would give Siri the ability to close apps, says Rick, and gives the example close NLS BARD would be possible. I would give Siri the ability to respond to messages from Facebook Messenger. I would provide some ability to customize some of Siri's messages. Some of the humor is funny, but hearing it over and over gets old. I think one should have the ability to suppress who me, and we were talking about you, not me. I would also like to suppress comments about the weather at times. I ask the temperature and she will add brr or hot, but sometimes not appropriately. 78.6 is not a temperature that I consider hot, but if I tell Siri this, it is ignored. One non-Siri thing. In the Spectrum TV app that I use regularly, there is an option for closed caption. I have a hearing loss. Though I can understand speech, sometimes I like to try this option. When I went into it, I kept running into app controls after reading part of the text on my U2. Is there a way to do this? And then there's a typo that I don't, uh, I can't interpret, muting voiceovers functionality. Well, if you're asking about muting voiceovers functionality, Rick, yes, there is a way to temporarily do it. And that is with a three finger double tap. If you do that once, it will say speech off. If you do it again, it will say speech on. Robin Frost, hi to you, Robin. And she says, in response to your top 10 wish list for iOS 12, I heartily agree with many as has been the case in years past. As usual, you do a great job of highlighting things that could enhance the experience for all. And I, for one, would love it if all came to fruition, even if they aren't things I would need personally, I recognize the benefit of them for all. Numbers 9 and 10 get a hearty yes and amen from me, as they always do. One thing I long pine and fervently hope for would be a restoration of some core functionality of the notification center or cover sheet, whatever it's called this week, says Robin, <laughs> that we lost long about iOS 10, i.e. the ability for a user to toggle for grouping notifications by app for easier sorting, perusal, and deletion, as well as a clear all button that consistently appears in the top left-hand corner of the screen, as we formerly did. One use case where these two related features comes in handy that I point out every month when I submit my feedback to Apple about this issue happens all too frequently these days, sadly. For instance, you're in a severe weather outbreak, so you'd like to keep severe alerts, but would like to quickly vanquish social media or other less important notifications at the moment. If notifications were able to once again be grouped by apps, you could quickly get rid of social media notifications, but keep severe ones 
for longer reading and review if necessary. While it's true that the current notification centre gives you a clear all button to get rid of all notifications en masse, for me it sometimes doesn't appear till you've swiped through 40 or 50 notifications to get to an earlier today designation, if then at all. Admittedly, I might get more notifications than others, but this functionality used to exist and sadly was taken away. Thank you, Robin. And phew, I think by my count, that is 20 listener comments. So I'm going to stop there. We received a huge number of comments and I'm sorry I can't play everybody's or we would be here for a very, very long time. But I think that is a pretty representative sample of what we've received. And so now we wait and we find out what Apple has in store for us next week. It's going to be a fun ride, as it always is. We'll be back with the next episode of The Blind Side and our WWDC analysis. Remember, you can get it first. You can get it live if you become a subscriber to the Daily Fiber Premium for just $5 a month, for which you also get every weekday a digest and audio form of the very latest in technology news. I should also say that we do have other comments on other things, so I will hold those comments. They haven't been lost. We probably will have no comments next week because of the special nature of the podcast, but we will be playing those other comments in a couple of weeks. And anything else that we receive, if you would like to contribute, the email address is theblindside at mosin.org. That's the blind site all joined together at mosin.org. Now you can write the email down and you can also attach an audio clip if you prefer and get it to us that way. And we have a US number for our feedback line and that is 719-270-5114. That's 719-270-5114. Also, I suspect there might be some lively discussion over in our blind side community. This is where listeners of the podcast can get together and talk with one another and with me and we chew the fat about some things that we talk about on the blind side and quite a few things that we don't and if you would like to join that community it is a, a good one to be on you can send a blank email to the blind side plus subscribe at groups.io that is the blind side and then the plus symbol subscribe at groups.io we'll see you for the big one next week thanks for listening to the blind side a production of Mosin Consulting, on the web at mosin.org.